0: Okay, boys and girls, it's now time for and Sci-Fi.
1: Hello, lovers of sci-fi and Star Trek and Star Wars. This is Rico with podcast number 90 for and Sci-Fi. I'm recording this on Friday evening, December 1st, 2006. A little early for the weekend podcast because I'm going to be heading to uh, Germany tomorrow on an airplane for uh, work and other things. More about that in a few minutes, and uh, the main topic this week is going to be a Star Trek movie, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Let's get to it.
2: Space, the final frontier. These are the continuing voyages of the starship Enterprise. Her ongoing mission to explore strange new worlds to seek out new life forms and new civilizations to boldly go where no man has gone before
1: This week on the podcast, I'm going to be looking at another Star Trek film, Star Trek 3: The Search for Spock, directed by Leonard Nimoy, first released in 1984. That'll be the main topic this week on the show, along with some uh, listener comments. We've got a good uh, report on a Star Trek uh, and sci-fi convention that happened over Thanksgiving weekend by a guy named Matt Wilson. That'll be coming up here shortly, so we'll be right back. Again, welcome to this week's podcast, uh, this week's edition of Treks and Sci-Fi. I'm Rico, your host again for another uh, weekly entry into uh, looking at Star Trek, Sci-Fi, Star Wars, and so on. Last week we um, sent out and, and released that Skype uh, cast with some forum members that we got together and chatted about uh, different science fiction topics, mainly about Sci-Fi and TV a little bit on the movies and that, and I've gotten some feedback. Everyone seemed to really enjoy that. Uh, I like doing those. I like getting other people's kind of perspective on uh, some of these shows rather than just myself. Uh, it, it's uh, it's always good. It's a little hard to coordinate. You know, that takes a little, uh, a little uh, tricky coordination, try to announce it on the forums and on the website uh, well in advance, trying to uh, let people know about it. And we usually get a pretty good uh, group, for uh, those shows. So, I hope everyone enjoyed that. I do have uh, a listener comment from uh, a couple of them from a listener named Scott, who's also on the forums. He uh, had uh, something to chime in about the TV show Heroes, which we talked about quite a bit on the Skypecast last week. So, here's Scott and his uh, take on the television show Heroes. Hey, Rico. This is Scott from the forum. And I got a
3: couple comments. First, I just want to say that uh, you know you got more than one comment or more than one voicemail about uh, a suggestion. You got one from me, but granted, I did say that it wasn't for the contest because the large just wouldn't wouldn't fit me. But, you know, anyway. A couple comments about Heroes. You may have some more comments later, but as of right now, I just had to call before I forgot. Uh, Heroes is breaking in. 15 million viewers every week. Excuse <laughs> me. And to put that into perspective, uh, Battlestar Galactica is only getting like 6 million or something. And uh, But is the guy who plays Hero, um, he actually worked on both Pirates of the Caribbean, the last two Pirates of the Caribbean movies, Part 2 and 3, and he also worked on Revenge of the Fifth.
4: So he did a lot of
3: the CGI for those. And my understanding is he currently still works for ILM. And about his IQ and him reading Stephen Hawking books and everything, as, like, people read Reader's Digest. Well, i just got to say, I read string theory books. I read physics books. And, you know, I read them as light reading. And my IQ is only 122, so go figure. And uh, I would... L- I just wish I could have been able could have been there for the for the sketch show, but unfortunately, I had to go play the part of best man, so that wasn't that option wasn't available to me. Anyway, just wanted to leave a few comments. See you later.
1: Well, thanks for your uh, your voicemail, uh, there, Scott. Anyone else? Of course, you can always uh, voicemail the show. Uh, the number is 206 two zero six eight eight trex using the voicemail line. That always uh, works well, and those come to me uh, through my email, so that's great. Thanks a lot for that, uh, Scott. Yeah, I did get your your uh, uh, request for episode, uh, for the contest. The episodes Scott was looking for were the, the Scorpion shows, which introduced Seven of Nine into Voyager, and those will definitely be looked at sometime in the future, Scott. Thanks for that. and. Yeah, uh, as far as uh, uh, Heroes, uh, it is getting a lot of good ratings, Uh, and I didn't really mean to say last week that, you know, the guy that plays Hero on the show is just a genius because he reads some, you know, uh, theories on, you know, string theory books or Stephen Hawking books. I actually read, I've got a couple of those that I've read as well. Uh, It was just, uh, that's the way they described it a little bit in an interview that I read in a magazine about him and his... um, you know, kind of high IQ. Uh, so uh, so that's that. The uh, the other thing that you had to to say about him working on those movies for ILM and that, yeah, I, I wasn't quite sure which ones he had worked on. I knew he worked recently, and I know he worked on some of the Star Wars films, but thanks for that information, Scott. I appreciate it. Okay, next up, we have a report from Matt Wilson, who does the Boring Beige Box podcast, and he has a report about a uh, Small uh, fan-run uh, convention that was held over Thanksgiving weekend, and I'm not going to say too much. He has about a four or five-minute uh, report here on the convention, and I think it's well worth hearing. So take it away, Matt.
4: Hi, Rico. This is Matt Wilson from the Boring Beige Box podcast at boringbeigebox.com, and I just wanted to call in and mention that I went to the Starbase Indie. Uh, Star Trek convention over this past uh Thanksgiving weekend. And let me tell you, it was incredible. Had a wonderful time. Uh Starbase India is basically kind of a uh it's a smaller convention that is fan run and uh put on by the fans and it is uh it's pretty good. I got there Friday night. It was in Indianapolis. Um, I arrived on Friday night and uh it was uh it was a lot of fun. Started out with uh, the op- there was a couple things that went on during the day, but I went in and registered. They did everything really first class. You know, my registration went well. I had paid online, uh, pre-registered for the entire weekend. I think the whole weekend was like seventy-five dollars, which was three days access to everything, pretty much, and. Um, So I got there on Friday, and I registered, got in, and at 7 o'clock there were some opening ceremonies, which was great, and it was really cool. Each uh, guest uh, came out and uh, just said hello. Uh, The guests for this convention were uh, the most important that I really enjoyed, because I've been loving the show, Battlestar Galactica, Katie Sackhoff, who plays Starbuck, was there, which was really, really amazing. Um, It's really cool to see her. So uh, she was there. Uh, also, you know, most of our favorites, uh, Jonathan Frakes was there. I did not get to see him. He was on Sunday. I had to leave early. Uh, Denise Crosby was there, uh, plays, you know, Lieutenant, uh, Tasha Yar on, uh, Star Trek ne- Generations. Uh, Next Generation was there. She was, she said hello. Gary Graham, who's played, um, uh, Vulcan on, uh... Star Trek Enterprise, which I really haven't watched much of that, but um, he's been in a bunch of things. He was there. Alexis Cruz, who was in Stargate, uh, was there. Um, Dean Hagland from X Files, remember him from uh, The Lone Gunman? Uh, he was there and he was really funny. And uh, there were a couple other people there. So it was, um, oh, also Tim Brazil from Trek United was there. It was cool to see him. And also David Reddick, the guy who uh, who creates the Trek Life cartoon on StarTrek.com was there. So it was really cool. Friday night was great. And uh, the next day, Saturday, I got up and just went to a bunch of different things. They had all different kinds of little events going on throughout the day. Um, you know, the greatest moment uh, was to uh, to see Katie Sackhoff who plays Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica. She was incredible. Uh, there was a 10 a.m. photo op. I got a photo with her, and uh, she's really, really cool, very approachable. Even the night before, uh, like I saw her at the hotel bar, just kind of hanging out with people, talking. It was really weird uh, to see her. So uh, got the photo op, and then later she talked around 3 o'clock in the afternoon for an hour. And she's only done like four or five conventions so far, so she was kind of nervous at first. But things kind of got rolling, and there was the, the largest crowd was for her, and it was maybe like 150 people, 100 people. It was not a not a huge convention, um, but it was a it was definitely a lot of fun. And uh, also got to hear Denise Crosby speak. Uh, they say that she says that they are trying to do a Trekkies three, but they're just kind of waiting for the money to come in from the uh, the second Trekkies. Um, so they are working on that. Um, also, got to hear uh, Dean Haglund talk for an hour, which is really cool about the X Files and some of the things he's working on. Uh, also, I sat in on a Battlestar Galactica uh, one hour just kind of uh, trivia, not trivia, but just a, a question answer kind of thing with a guy named Kevin Spencer, who is one of the administrators on. Uh, the Battlestar Wiki at battlestarwiki.org, I think it is, and uh, that was really cool to spend some time with him and a few other people. Um, and that was about it. I didn't stay for the whole thing, but uh, like I said, at, now afterwards, um, uh, after Katie Sackhoff, she was done about 4 o'clock. Everyone got in line for uh, for autographs and it took a really long time. I think uh, it took about an hour and 45 minutes to to finally get out of there. But uh, I got to have her sign uh, the picture and it was really cool. Uh, there was also some ex- excellent dealer's room, tons of collectibles. I mean, anything you can imagine. And uh, it was. I didn't buy a whole lot of stuff, but I didn't have a whole lot of money on me. But if I had more, I would have bought a lot of stuff. They had a great dealer's room. They had a, a room with uh, you know refreshments, and there was always different things going on. There was a room where they were just showing random episodes of Star Trek and other pro- sci-fi programs. It was a great all-around, not too Star Trek-heavy. It was just a great combination of a, a, of a sci- great sci-fi convention. So anyway, I would definitely uh, recommend to anyone who wants to go to it next year, It's always this is their 11th one, and they always do it in Indianapolis on Thanksgiving weekend. Okay, thanks, Rico. Uh, take care. Bye-bye.
1: Well, thanks very much, Matt, for that, that great report on Starbase Indie Convention. I haven't gone to that, but I have been to a couple of small conventions in the past, and I, I know what you mean. I think uh, I think they're a lot more interesting and a lot more fun. The stars are usually a little easier to approach. They, they, it feels a little bit more like uh, you're not just there almost watching them uh, way, way up in front of a huge audience, and, and it's a little more personal, I guess, and I've enjoyed those when I've had a chance to go to those. I think it's main one of the main reasons I've actually stayed away from some of the really big, large, like Star Wars conventions and the Vegas convention for Star Trek every uh, summer is uh, the larger ones, have, I guess maybe they've slowly turned into just seeming like money-making machines and, and maybe... Uh, a, not maybe as much fun for me anymore. I've gone to a lot of conventions in the past, but I'm going to have to check out that Starbase Indie maybe uh, next year. I'll get a chance to go to it. I, I knew about it this year, and I knew who who was going to be there, and uh, it's just a difficult weekend a lot of times for people, I think because of the holidays. So, But I really appreciate the report. It was great to hear about that, and uh, I think Matt sent me some links to some photos that he took at the convention, and I will put those in the podcast notes. And everyone should check out the uh, Boring Beige Box podcast by Matt Wilson. Thanks again for the report, Matt.
5: This show is part of the Out of This World Entertainment on the Sci-Fi Podcast Network, TSFPN.com.
1: Well, okay, as I said at the uh, early beginning of this week's show, I'm doing this just a little early. I have to leave for business to uh, Frankfurt, Germany, tomorrow on a big jet airplane uh, out of Detroit. I seem to be becoming uh, the frequent flyer guy for work. Uh, went to Taiwan over the summer. Was it in Germany about a year and a half ago? Summer of 2005 and I'm heading back this uh, this weekend just for a week uh, and I, I thought I'd do the podcast early. That way I can get this up for this weekend and I will be back on December, I think it's December 8th, yeah, a week from today and I'll be able to do uh, a podcast next weekend. So for those kind of keeping track out there. I shouldn't miss any shows. There won't be a Wednesday show, obviously, next week, but those are, you know, I usually do those about half the time, you know, every other week or so. That's not a real regular one, just when I get the chance and the time. But uh, although I did want to mention here, uh, for those especially on the forums or for those emailing me, uh, for the next week after the show goes out, I'm going to be pretty, uh, probably, I'm not taking a computer with me, and I'm probably going to be pretty, uh, my, my, uh access to the internet is going to be pretty limited. Uh, there may be a computer in the hotel I don't know that I can use or whatever. So just for those on the forums or those sending me email over the next week or so, uh, be a little patient and I will get back to you when I return. The, the next thing we've got to get into is Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Now, I'm going to go through the movie, talk about what I like about it, uh, maybe some things that I don't like, a little bit of the history of the movie. Uh, the, the podcast to this week will probably end up a little longer since we had Matt's report and we're going over a Star Trek movie, which is a little bit more to go over than a regular uh, episode from uh, one of the series. So without any further ado, I'm going to play the one minute preview uh, or so trailer preview for Star Trek 3 The Search for Spock. Here we go. All that they've loved, all that they've fought for. All
5: that they've stood for will now be put to the test. Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. The word, sir. The word is no. I am therefore going anyway. If you do this, you'll never sit in the captain's chair again. Engage auto systems. They're all warnings. Cleared, sir. One quarter impulse power. Someone is stealing the Enterprise. Warp speed. Klingon Bird of Prey. she's armed torpedoes. Shields up. The shields non-responsive. We're a sitting duck. Join us on this, the final voyage of the Starship Enterprise. Star Trek 3, The Search for Spock. The
1: adventure continues. Rated PG. Ah, yes, the days uh, when movies were rated PG. Not very many of those anymore. It seems to be either PG-13, R, or, or G, I guess, if it's Disney. So uh, that's just a little aside. Here we are. Um, I've been wanting to get back to doing another Star Trek movie for a while now. I have covered both the first Star Trek movie, The Motion Picture, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. So I thought it's time, it's it's definitely time to get back to doing Star Trek Three which is the, obviously the in-between middle movie of the little trilogy of Star Trek's 2, 3, and 4 that really kind of form a uh, a continuing story. This is all about uh, the search for Spock, of course, by the title. Most uh, Star Trek fans uh, think of this as maybe the weakest of this trilogy, but I- I'm going to try to change people's minds a little bit maybe on this podcast and say why I think this is just as... It definitely is still enjoyable, maybe not... Quite up to the to the notches and the heights of Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, which was just a you know a spectacular Star Trek film and a good film you know in general. And Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home, kind of a a little more of a, uh, a general audience appeal movie, a lot of humor and things, a lot of differences. So, but you have the middle of the trilogy, which is always kind of the toughest act of any kind of a story, I think, to tell. You know, you, you don't usually end it on such a great note. It doesn't usually start off on the best note. And it's a lot of things, you know, kind of like the Empire Strikes Back in the Star Wars saga. Although I, I consider that the by far the best of the Star Wars movie just because there's the most interesting character development and so on. And I find myself that I'm kind of now going off on a more of a tangent than I wanted to. But let's just suffice it to say Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, I think is still a fine movie. Now the... The big thing about this movie, it was directed by Leonard Nimoy. Of course, our our own beloved Mr. Spock got behind the uh, camera for most of the film, played Spock uh, really just a little bit at the very end of the movie, which freed him up to to, uh, direct the film. And I have a a short clip, kind of an interview uh, of him talking about how that came about that I'm going to play after we go through the movie, give you a little insight in how he got the job and so forth. It is on, uh, I I pulled that off of the two DVD set that I have of, you know, all the Star Trek films are out in like two DVD sets now. Basically, the first disc is the movie, and the second one is all the extra features, interviews, and so on, and these are really well priced. They're usually only about $15 at the stores, maybe even a little cheaper online, and, and well worth it, even if you have the the first release of the movies on DVD. These extra ones uh, are, are really interesting to see. Some good interviews and good information there for the Star Trek fans. The As everyone knows, at the end of Star Trek II, you had uh, Spock sacrificing himself to save the Enterprise. I don't think there's any anyone out there hopefully listening to Trex and sci-fi that doesn't realize that. But at the very end of Star Trek II, you have them launch off uh, Mr. Spock's body... In a uh, photon torpedo tube that uh, sort of soft lands on the Genesis, the new uh, Genesis planet, and that's where things are sort of left at the end of Star Trek 2. And it kind of gave people hope that that maybe Spock isn't completely gone. That somehow, being on that Genesis planet, something would would uh, happen to bring him back. And of course, as everyone knows now, that seen Star Trek Three that we'll be talking about here. That, that of course does happen in sort of an interesting way I thought they really they, they did a pretty good job at creating a, a very interesting script for Star Trek 3 and something I think that uh, that definitely fulfills the task of bringing Spock back but he's not quite himself by the end of it and I think uh, I think overall it was uh they pulled themselves out of the corner they had painted themselves in a little bit when, in Star Trek 2 with Spock dying and everyone realizing uh that that he, you know we got to get Spock back. I mean you know he's a very important part of the of the crew and the, and the cast and so on. So Leonard Nimoy directed it. It's still produced by Harve Bennett. Uh, a lot of the same music is used in, the, in Star Trek Three. Uh, James Horner again. The the, the effects are, are very similar. ILM again. So there's there's a lot of it was only done like two years after Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. All the cast looks about the same, although I think you know, of course, William Shatner has a new hairdo again, of, uh, as he usually does. Each each uh, Star Trek film, you can almost uh, you can see the progression of Star Trek films through uh, William Shatner's hair uh, look of his hair. Let's just put it at that. So, but that uh, I think that's about all I want to go with right now, and, and give you some information and background. Let's get into the film itself. Uh, of course, this starts out the Enterprise is, is heading home. After its battle with uh, Khan, it's it's pretty beat up. The ship is uh, is in bad shape, and I will take it uh, from there. The first uh, audio clip here I'm going to play is Captain Kirk describing the situation in his own uh, personal log. So here we go with uh, into the film Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock.
5: USS Enterprise, Captain's personal log. With most of our battle damage repaired, we're almost home. Yet, I feel uneasy, and I wonder why. Perhaps it is the emptiness of this vessel. Most of our trainee crew have been reassigned. Lieutenant Savick and my son David are exploring the Genesis planet, which he helped create. And Enterprise feels like a house with all the children gone. No, more empty even than that. The death of Spock is like an open wound. It seems that I have left the noblest part of myself
1: back there on that newborn planet. You know, one of the one of the things that I really enjoy about this one, uh, uh, this film in the Star Trek series of movies along with uh, a few others, but this one in particular I think they they use the cast really well. They did that in, in Star Trek uh, Star Trek 4 also. but the cast all gets uh, gets uh, a kind of a you know a little spot in the limelight each of them. The, the other thing I wanted to mention at this point in going over uh, the movie is I think the acting in this film, especially William Shatner there you could just hear it in the the personal log that he was doing and in several other points in this movie. I think William Shatner does a really great job, uh, you know, great acting job in this film. Just like I think he does in 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 most of the Star Trek films 2, 3 and 4 especially. And I think even Star Trek 6, Star Trek 5, we'll, we'll talk about that in the future, but but this one I think he does a really good job. There's a lot of things he's going through here. The loss of a Spock for him as you heard in his log there. Well, really hit him hard he's he's never experienced that kind of a loss before you know he Spock was basically his best friend he knew him for so many years and he always you know Kirk always thought between along with him and and Spock and Bones and and everyone on the Enterprise the main the main core group that they could kind of solve anything and get out of any jam that they had to and not you know they'd all be okay afterwards but this this didn't happen this time this time Spock died. Spock sacrificed himself to save the rest of them. You know, the needs of, of the many out needed, outweighed the needs of the One, which uh, which is a theme throughout these films and kind of gets turned in reverse for this one, where the, the needs of Spock, the needs of the One, outweigh the needs of the many, where they all basically sacrifice their careers, their lives, everything, to try to save their fallen comrade, to try to save Spock. And it, none of them probably are... are Feeling that even more or sacrificing as much as, as probably uh, Admiral Kirk. And it really, he does a great job. William Shatner really does a good job in this film. There's other things going on with David, his son, that, that happened that I'll talk about too. But I think uh, the acting here is, is really well done. And I, I really like this movie. It's, it's, it's good, it's, it really connects the, the Star Trek 2 and 4 movies well and it's, a, uh, it's definitely well uh, deserving of, of the title in, in the Star Trek, or the title Star Trek in the film series. Did that make any sense? Yeah, that made sense. The, the, I just meant to say it's, it's a deserving Star Trek film and, and well worth watching. Let's move on. The, the situation that happens with Spock, uh, you know, if you remember, and, and most people listening probably already know all this, There's a scene at the end of Star Trek II where Spock presses his hand up to McCoy in engineering and says, remember to him. And basically what's happening there is Spock's kind of somehow transferring his katra, his essence, his souls, if you will, to the the character of Bones. And that is sort of having a a weird effect on Dr. McCoy. And I'm going to play the next clip here and you'll hear a little bit about that. So here you go with Dr. McCoy with Spock's uh, consciousness or soul floating around inside of him. So listen to this clip.
5: Have you lost your mind? Help me, Jim. Take me home. Bones, we are. We are home. Then perhaps it's not too late. Climb the steps, Jim. Climb the steps of Mount Saleya. Mount Solaia? Mount Solaia is on Vulcan. We're home. On Earth. Remember.
0: Admiral, docking is completed. Starfleet Commander Morrow is on his way for inspection.
5: Uhura, get the medics down here!
1: Yeah, so do- Dr. McCoy is, uh, is kind of messed up, and it's... It's rather ironic that you know Spock and McCoy have always had that sort of love-hate relationship throughout the TV series and in the movies. They always needle each other, have these little arguments. You know, Spock was the cool, logical, uh, unemotional Vulcan, and McCoy was almost the direct opposite of that—very emotional human, saw things uh, a lot differently, but they still cared about each other and. It's, it's kind of in a way fitting that, you know, Spock's kind of last, one of his last dying acts was to, you know, fling his consciousness into McCoy and have the doctor have to live with that situation. It's, uh, it's an interesting thing, and, you know, it's, yeah, it's a bit of a stretch, of course. You know, this is science fiction, you know, how did all that happen? How did Spock do that? You know, whatever. It's a Vulcan thing, right? Hey, just got to go with it. It's sci fi. <laughs> the, uh, the next thing that happens—that's a really cool—Mark uh, Leonard, who plays uh, Ambassador Sarek, Spock's father, shows up on Earth to uh, kind of confront Kirk about, hey, you know, when Vulcans die, they—they they try to do this thing with their consciousness, and Sarek thinks that uh, the consciousness is in would be put into Kirk, being Kirk was his son, Spock's best friend, but it, Sarek didn't really know the full situation and. He asks Kirk to mind meld or if Kirk can, you know, join his mind to his mind and all that. And Sarek's kind of searching for his son. It It's a good scene. It, you know, I, I really, I guess I'll talk about it right now and I'll play that clip for you with Sarek and Kirk. I think that uh, Leonard Nimoy really does a good job directing this movie. I noticed when I watched it again here, collecting some of the audio clips. You know, there's a lot of interesting shots in this movie, some close-ups of the characters... A little different look uh, to the way the movie was filmed versus the other Star Trek movies. He's uh, he's he's really got a good eye for you know Leonard Nimoy has has been into photography for a, a very long time, and I think that that photography eye of his, you know, really helped him out here in in how to stage these different scenes and you know the angles to film from and and all that. And and Leonard Nimoy of course went on to direct some other films and and he's yeah you know, he didn't really. I guess end up directing a lot of movies, but I think he, if he had started when he was younger, I mean, who knows how things would have gone for him if he hadn't done as much acting, had gone more directing. I really uh, admire the work that he does in Star Trek Three. I think he does a really good job, especially given the fact that he hadn't had a lot of directing experience at this point. So, um, so I just wanted to say that I think that yeah, that he does a good job, especially and and you know the. The obvious thing is is that Leonard Moy knows Star Trek. He knows the characters. He knows what the fans want and are looking for, and all that kind of stuff. And that that does help. There's no question about that. But I don't think just being a, involved in the show and and that is is enough. I think you still have to have a, a sense of you know how to keep people running the way you want them to do. How do you get the actors to act the way you want them? The photography, all those things that directors do. You know, basically they make the movie. They, they are, you know, they are the boss. They are in charge of how this thing ultimately turns out. And Leonard Nimoy does a good job. The, the clip I'm going to play, of course, like I, I already mentioned, this is a, a scene between Kirk and uh, Sarek. So I'll play that for you now.
0: I had assumed he mind melded with you. It is the Vulcan way. When the body's end is near,
5: we were separated. He couldn't touch me. I see.
2: And everything that he was, everything he knew,
5: is lost. Please wait. He would have found a way if there was that much at stake. Spock would have found a way. Yes. But how? What if he joined with someone else?
1: And, of course, we, uh, the audience all know that the person that he joined with, of course, is Dr. McCoy. There's a fun little scene where Dr. McCoy goes into... I didn't get an audio clip from it, but he goes into sort of a restaurant trying to hire a cargo ship to... A, uh, a captain of a cargo vessel to take him back to the Genesis planet, and the the fun thing about that scene is he's uh, he tries to pull the Vulcan neck pinch thing on, on this guard, this Starfleet guard that uh, is looking for him, and it doesn't work. Of course, he can't do it; he's not a Vulcan. So that uh, that's always a funny scene. I thought, and and I, I enjoy it. It's it, I like the way the the alien guy talks too. He says. Ship, you know, you look for ship, me not take. You know, he almost talks like Yoda, I think, a little bit. But anyway, uh, I didn't capture that one. Probably should have. I think that's a fun scene. But had about, I don't know, 15 or 14 other clips I ended up kept capturing off of the movie anyway. So one more I thought. Uh, it's it's difficult each week, you know, to pull out the, the essence and the little clips, I think, that are interesting and important to the movie and are fun to listen to. And, and this one was, like a lot of them, especially the films, was always difficult to, to not pull out more of it and and it just to pick out which ones to do and I always get emails and stuff from people that say well you know you got that clip and I liked it and that one but you didn't get this one and it's always it's always kind of a, a shot in the dark of which ones but I've seen this film and, and a lot of the episodes that I review a number of times so there are certain scenes that always kind of stand out for me and those typically are the ones that I, I pull out and, and grab the audio from. So there you go, a little into the inner workings of Trexan sci-fi. <laughs> Let's move along. The, n- the next clip I wanted to play, like I said uh, a little earlier, each of the actors, each of the characters in the movie, Sulu, Uhuro, uh, yeah, Scotty, er- they all they all get like a little bit. Basically what happens is Kirk asks to try to take the Enterprise back to Genesis, and he's kind of said, nope, nope, nope. That's kind of quarantined. It's like Talos 4. You can't go there. No, no, no. Well, you know, being Kirk, he decides, well, you know, nah, I'm not going to really take no for an answer. And they create this uh, plan to get McCoy out of this holding cell that he's in, grab the Enterprise, and get out of there. And there's a scene with uh, Sulu that helps in this situation. You know, uh, George Takei is not a very large guy. He's kind of a small small actor, small uh, person. I, don't, I shouldn't use the word small, maybe. He's about average height or so. Well, they... The scene that I'm going to play for you here, and most of you probably know this again, or have seen it, there's a, there's this security Starfleet guard that's this real big football-looking guy, and, and he calls Sulu Tiny and all that, and, and, and Sulu flips him over his shoulder and blasts the panel and gets McCoy out of his cell. But I just thought it was cool. You know, Kirk could have just gone charging in there, you know, fist-flying in Kirk, faction, Kirk fashion. Did I say faction? <laughs> Excuse me. You know, in Kirk fashion, and, and you know they they could have had Shatner do do all this stuff, and but they didn't. They they it was a team effort, and that's what I always liked about this movie. And, and when they do this in movies or even in the TV series, it's always enjoyable to me more where the different characters get to play different. You know, they get to do what they do best. And in this in this case, Kirk is in the cell, and Sulu is uh, taking care of uh, the big security guard. So listen up. Here we go. Where's Admiral Kirk?
4: He's with the prisoner. Get him quickly. Commander Starfleet wants him, right away. Oh.
2: Oh. Keeping you busy? Don't get smart,
5: Tiny. Admiral, Starfleet, Commander, Commander... sick. Here, take a look. Uh. 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 Side elevator. Agents on their way up don't call me tiny
1: yeah i just love love that scene that's it's difficult to uh, you know you can kind of imagine that if you've seen the scene before you know what's going on but that that's just so cool <clears throat> excuse me sulu just flips that guy that big guy over his shoulder blasts the panel and off they go now, if you recall, Scotty had been reassigned to this new starship uh, with transwarp drive called the Excelsior. With this real, nah, not a very, nah, definitely not the kind of captain we're used to in, in command of that vessel. And Scotty, of course, being Scotty, and the Enterprise has to get out of there. Scotty kind of messed up their uh, transwarp drive, and they they make their escape. So that's what he uh, he does. I don't really have a clip on that scene. The the next scene though that I do have. Actually, takes place before that. When when the Enterprise just just before the Enterprise escapes, this is seen when the, the group of them get onto the bridge of the Enterprise and are just about to get the, make their way out of space dock. The thing I like about this scene that I'm going to play for you next, this clip, is it really shows how much uh, these characters have have grown to mean to each other. You know, Kirk uh, has a little uh, speech here where he's. He's asking them at this point, "Okay, you you all have helped me get to this point. I've got the enterprise. It's all computer controlled now. I can get our Dr. McCoy and myself to Genesis. Uh, you guys can go back. But listen to how this scene goes if you haven't heard it in a while. And this uh, this movie or this uh, scene to me is is kind of what sums up this movie overall. It's just the loyalty and the sacrifice that these characters uh, will do and will make for each other. So listen to this."
0: As promised, she's all yours, sir. All systems automated and ready. A chimpanzee and two trainees could (laughs) work.
5: Thank you, Mr. Scott. I'll try not to take that personally. My friends, I can't ask you to go any further. Dr. McCoy and I have to do this. The rest of you do not.
0: Admiral, we're losing precious time.
5: What course, please, Admiral? Mr. Scott? I'd be grateful, Admiral, if you'd give the word. Gentlemen, may the wind be at our backs. Stations, please.
1: Yeah, that's that's what this movie is all about. These characters, you know, they've they've worked together, become so close over the years that they'll, they'll basically do... Do anything for each other, and, and that that I think is is very important and kind of the essence of Star Trek. And, and you know, I, I I just miss that so much. I I loved going to see these movies when they first came out and the original crew. Like I've said countless times on on this podcast, uh, I grew up with the the original crew, and and to see them in the in the films uh, when these were out in the '80s and early very early until about nineteen ninety one. You know, every couple of years, another Star Trek film with the, I call it the classic uh, cast and the classic crew, was always such a treat. And I'd go see these films probably at least a half a dozen times, even in the theaters or more. And it's just, to me, it's never been really matched again. I mean, I i enjoy the later series, I enjoy Next Gen and all those, and, and I'm not going to go off onto this too much, but this, uh, this group of actors, this group of characters is always... Uh, kind of special for me at least and th- this movie is is very important uh because of just you know they show so much how they'll go to the ends of the earth the ends of the universe to to save each other and you know Kirk uh, really loses a lot in this movie to to get his uh his friend his first officer back uh, to get Spock back with him so i think uh that's uh you know it's kind of a, a good lesson i think i think that the world uh, you know, you, you got to stand up for what's important and what's right in life sometimes. And it's not always easy to do. It's, you know, every day, well, maybe not every day, but there are always times in your life where you get to, you know, you get choices about that kind of thing. And you have to decide what's what's the right thing to do. And and hopefully it's uh, something I try to teach my kids. And I think uh, that uh, it's an important value to, to, to show that there's always uh, – you know, sacrificing yourself for the greater good or for your for you know a friend or a family member is 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 a, a worthwhile thing and a valuable thing. But I am really getting off on a tangent. Well, you got to get back to the movie. Come on, Rico. What are you doing? Getting all weird and emotional? See what happens when I podcast early? Anyway, uh, let's go back to the film now. Of course, the character of Savic. Savic. Sorry, it's not Savic. It's Savic. Lieutenant Savic, with um. Is with David exploring the Genesis Planet. Now, in the first uh, in Star Trek II, that that uh, the character was played by Kirstie Alley, and in this film they had to replace Kirstie with a new actress. The new actress, of course, is her name is Robin Curtis, and I think she does a good job. You know, it's always hard to come in and and, you know put your. uh, you know, be an actor and fill a, a role that somebody else has already done, especially if it's somebody who's done it for the first time. Now, you know, Savic, there I keep doing it again, sorry. Savic was only in one film, but the, and the reason that I've always heard, and maybe if somebody wants to write treksf at gmail.com and, and clue me into something different, basically I, I think Kirstie Alley wanted a little bit more money, they decided to recast. That That's... That's the common notion that I've always heard is why they end up with Robin Curtis to do uh, the next movie to do Star Trek three. There may have been more to it. She might have been busy with Cheers. She didn't she end, she ended up on that TV show for a while. I'm not really completely positive, so don't completely quote me on that. Uh, I just I think it was a money issue primarily. That's at least my guess, and and the little bits that I've heard at conventions and and over the years in in Star Trek fandom circles. So. But anyway, let's go back. Uh, she she had to come into this part, and the, her character doesn't have a huge amount to do in this movie, but she's on Genesis. She saves the 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 new Spock, let's call him. So there is a lot going on there. The clip I'm going to play here is, the first one is where uh, Savik and the young Spock that they find on the planet meet up with each other. So listen to this clip.
6: Captain, this is Savick. Come in, please. Yes, Savick, go ahead. We have found the life sign. It is a Vulcan child, perhaps eight to ten Earth years of age. A child? How did he get there? It is Dr. Marcus's opinion that this is... that the Genesis effect has in some way regenerated Captain Spock. Uh, Savick, that's uh, that's extraordinary what would you like to do next? Request permission to beam aboard immediately Savick, does Dr. Marcus think there could be any uh, chance of uh, radioactive contamination? No None that he can detect, sir All the same, I'm going to advise Starfleet and get instructions I'm sure Starfleet would approve, sir
2: Probably true, but let's do it by the book
1: Yeah, that that captain of the Grissom, the science vessel that brings Savik and David to the Genesis planet, he's kind of a wuss, you know, <laughs> as Starfleet captains go. He he always is contacting Starfleet to get this answer and that answer, and I'm not really sure why they wanted to make him like that, but the Klingons come along in their bird of prey and wipe him out in a few seconds anyway, so doesn't matter that much, I guess. You can hear in the background on that last uh, clip all the snow and everything and changing climate on the Genesis planet. This uh, planet, of course, there was the Mutara Nebula that the Genesis device was exploded uh, by Khan in Star Trek II, which grabbed all the matter in the, in the nebula and created the Genesis planet, a small little sun to keep it nice and warm and all. But things aren't quite the way they should be on the Genesis planet. There's volcanoes in one area, Sub-zero temperatures and snow in another, a tropical forest in another, with uh, all within kind of walking distance of each other. Strange climate things, the planet's starting to have a lot of earthquakes and, and uh, shocks, and just, it's falling apart, basically. And there, there's a clip that explains that a little bit here between Savik and David, and explains how... Uh, Kirk's, uh, Kirk's son is also uh, changes uh, the rules a little bit when he does what he does for a living. So listen to this clip.
6: It's time for total truth between us. This planet is not what you intended or hoped for, is it?
5: Not exactly. Why? I used protomatter in the Genesis Matrix.
6: Protomatter? an unstable substance which every ethical scientist in the galaxy has denounced as dangerously unpredictable
5: but it was the only way to solve certain problems
6: so like your father you changed the rules
5: if i hadn't it might have been years or never
6: how many have paid the price for your impatience how many have died how much damage have you done and what is yet to come
1: well she uh, she kind of slammed David down there and and rightly so you know he and his mother uh, uh, dr. Uh, Carol Marcus you know they created this Genesis device trying to create uh, life on lifeless planets and planetoids or whatever out there but obviously they had to cut a few corners to, in order to do that with this proto matter stuff and it's it's creating or it created a planet that's that's not very stable and, and is basically falling apart uh, not that long after it was created. So they're, they've they got a problem, and they're stuck down there. The The ship that brought them there, the science vessel, the Grissom, is, is destroyed by the Klingons uh, flying around. Oh, let me mention a little bit about the Klingons. Uh, Christopher Lloyd plays uh, this Klingon commander who gets a hold of the Genesis information from an, another Klingon who they must have had some kind of relationship. He has to blow her up because she knows about it. I, I never really understood that scene. It's... It seems kind of lame to me a little bit. She's a spy of some kind. She gets a ahead of or a hold of ahead of. She, excuse me. She gets a hold of this information, this the secret, top secret, classified Starfleet information, Federation and info on this Genesis device. And since oh, she's a spy, she's okay to go and retrieve the information. But we we've got to kill her now because she knows about it. I'm like, eh, you know, what was the deal with that? I don't know, but. So, so commander uh, or captain is he? A commander or a captain? I can't remember. But it's Kruge, K R U G E, I think is his name. Uh, Christopher Lloyd flying around the Klingon. I'd say, in a way, he's probably the maybe the weakest link in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. I, I think he kind of overacts a little bit. He doesn't act entirely very Klingon to me. I, I guess I just don't like his character very much, not just his character, but I don't like the way he's acting as a Klingon. I thought the, the some of the other uh, nemesiss Nemesi, <laughs> whatever that is, enemies for Kirk, uh, Khan of course, uh, even the the Klingon, which I can't remember who he was played by Christopher Plummer in Star Trek 6. You know the other enemies that that Kirk has had to face in the film series were were definitely a lot more serious, a lot more imposing. I thought this Klingon in in this Bird of Prey is is just kind of a thug almost, and, and he doesn't seem very very honorable either. I, I don't know. I just and Christopher Lloyd he does an okay job, I guess, playing him. I'm not sure what what my you know it's hard for me to describe exactly why I don't really care for him that much as Klingons and his enemies go, but maybe it's. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's his lack of facing facing uh, Kirk in, in kind of an honorable battle. I mean, I thought I always thought Klingons were all supposed to be all honorable, and he kind of, you know, he's telling his guys to kill hostages immediately, stab them in the back, that kind of junk. I mean, that, that doesn't really seem exactly Klingon to me. I, I don't know, but that's just me. Anyway, not, not a really bad point, but maybe just about, for me at least, sort of the weakest part of the film, perhaps the the next uh, clip kind of illustrates this a little bit and it's, it's a very emotional dramatic scene though this is the scene where uh the klingons are or crew orders uh one of his men to kill one of the hostages to to get kirk to surrender his ship in the enterprise and and uh of course it's it's we as we know david is the one that gets killed he kind of Again, it's a, it's a movie about sacrifice because what what happens in the scene, if you watch it closely, is the Klingon's kind of pacing behind the the three of them, the young Spock on the planet, uh, Savik and uh, David. And he's about to kill Savik, and David basically intervenes, tries to stop the Klingon from killing her, and ends up getting killed in the process. A very, you know, in, in Kirk's son's sort of dying act, he does a very Kirk thing. Uh, he doesn't survive, which would be more of a Kirk thing, but... He's you know, he's not really a fighter, but he does sacrifice himself and he does try to save uh Savick. And for those that have read any of the novelizations of these films or some of the other Star Trek novels, there was supposed to be a sort of a relationship going on between Kirk's son, David, and, and Savik that was sort of, you know, they kinda hopped in bed together a little bit. You know, she's she's not pure Vulcan. She's supposed to be like half Romulan, half Vulcan. So there was this sort of thing going on between the two of them. And, you know, they never really brought that out in the movies. He was just kind of her friend, it seemed, more in the films. But, he, you know, he cared about her, I guess, enough to to try to stop the Klingon and ends up getting killed. But here's the scene. And, And William Shatner, again, I think does a great job in this scene about his reaction to the death of his son. So listen for that.
6: Admiral, David is dead.
5: Bastard,
2: you killed my son. Oh, on Bastard, you killed my son. You on Bastard. There are two more prisoners, Admiral. Do you want them killed too? Surrender your vessel. All right,
5: all right, Daniel. All right.
1: You know, I think uh, I think after hearing that clip, I understand uh, one of my things or one of my problems with this Klingon. He, he just sounds too much like Jim uh, the Taxi Guy on, on the old TV comedy Taxi. You know, Christopher Lloyd played on that TV series, and he was this crazy kind of crazy guy, and his voice just is so unusual and distinctive. It, it sounds like crazy Jim from Taxi flying around in a Klingon bird of prey. It's, it, it's, it's a little uh, strange hearing that voice there. So there, William Shatner, a good job, a great job, really, reacting to the death of his son. A son he really never had a chance to know very well. One of the big sacrifices in this film, and I think if I'm trying to remember, I think it was pretty much out there in the information and the world knew about it a little bit before the movie even opened in uh, way back in 1984, is the destruction of the Enterprise. This Enterprise, of course, was refitted uh, in and for the motion picture, but this is supposed to be basically the original Enterprise. This is the Enterprise uh, just uh, that's always been with Kirk and his crew, kept him uh, alive, uh, you know, flying from planet to planet for, for years, and Kirk basically has to sacrifice the ship, the ship that he loves, you know, just about above everything else except for maybe his friends, Above all else, he has to sacrifice his ship in order to kill most of these Klingons, take them out when they board his ship, and it, to to go on. And as McCoy says, a line in this film that says something like, "He you know he he takes a kind of a no win situation or, or against the odds, and and he turns it into a chance to lo- to live, you know, to live and fight again, kind of a thing." But this uh, it's a pretty dramatic thing: the Enterprise falling down through the Genesis Planet in flames. Is 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 a very uh, it's a very emotional shot, especially for these for this crew that have you know like I said the Enterprise has kept them going and kept them alive all this time. I'm gonna play the I, l- I like the beginning of this because it's the this is all the destruct uh, code and entering sequence uh, from Kirk, Scotty, and Chekhov, who's the science officer at the time. But I always liked when they do that on they did it in the original series once. And they do it in this movie. And they even keep some of the codes are the same that they use for, to, to do the destruct sequence. There's just a, kind of, a couple of little tiny differences, but it, it's uh, very reminiscent. And uh, I, I hate to use the word, I'm enjoying them blowing up the Enterprise, but this is a pretty dramatic scene, so I thought I'd play this one for you. So listen to this.
5: Computer, destruct sequence 1, code 1, 1A.
6: Computer, Commander Montgomery Scott, Chief Engineering Officer. Destruct Sequence 2, Code 1, 1A, 2B.
4: Computer, this is Commander Pavel Chekhov, Acting Science Officer. Destruct Sequence 3, Code 1B, 2B, 3.
6: Destruct sequence completed and engaged awaiting final code for one minute countdown
5: code zero zero zero
6: Destruct zero Destruct sequence is activated.
1: Yeah, I have to have to admit that when I think I first saw the Enterprise way back when I first saw this film getting blown up, uh, I was I was like, okay, maybe it's only partly blown up. Maybe he just blew up the bridge to kill the Klingons. I was it was it was a tough one. The Enterprise was was just as much uh, a, a character and an important thing in Star Trek as as any of the others uh, on the show. You know, it, she kind of was her own character and. To see Kirk willing to blow up his ship to to get his friend back to get Spock back just just again shows how much these guys are willing to go through and do in this in order to uh, to save their friend. There's a a short clip next one I'm going to play. I got to move this along. I'm realizing I'm really kind of uh, rambling a lot tonight. Uh, I think it's good information though. I hope you're enjoying it. Got a few more clips to go through and we'll be wrapping this up. The next one is a, a short one, only about a half a minute for this one. This is uh, where they get down to the planet. They find Spock. And McCoy uh, describes a little bit about what's going on with him. And he's kind of... The deal with Spock is he's aging along with the planet. The planet is kind of falling apart and Spock's aging and and becoming closer to the age that they last knew him appropriately. Not too, you know, younger, not older. Just just right, you know. They get him off the planet just at the right age. But here's a scene with McCoy talking about that a little bit.
2: Rapid aging. All
5: genetic functions highly accelerated. What about his mind? His mind's a boy. It seems, Admiral, that I've got all his marbles. Is there anything we can do?
6: Only one thing, sir. Get him off this planet. His aging's part of what's going on around us.
1: If you recall, there's a, there's a scene where, where Kirk kind of cons Krug, Krug, whatever. How, are, how do you say that name? Uh, they never even merely say his name in the movie, I think. He cons them into coming down to the planet to get the Genesis information like it's basically, uh, you know, in, in uh, a little file book that Kirk has on him or whatever. I, I always found that kind of interesting, you know, why or what does he think? He's got like a piece of paper that says, oh, here's all the Genesis information for you, Cruz, you know, here you go. I don't know. But anyway, there's a. There's a battle, of course. It's always a fun Star Trek movie or TV series when Kirk gets to fight it out hand to hand with somebody. And this one, he fights it out with this Klingon leader, commander on the planet. And the, the last bit of it, where Kirk's kicking this guy off a cliff, I, I, I always like that scene. So I'm going to play that for you. It's a pretty short clip, but listen to this.
5: Give me your hand.
1: <laughs> uh, uh,
5: uh. Uh.
2: Have
1: enough of you! Yeah, so much for our uh, Reverend Jim Klingon. Yes, Christopher Lloyd the Klingon. He falls to his death in the lava. Oh, oh goodbye. Well, he did some damage uh, before he went, so uh, good riddance, I'd say. All right, here we go. the The main thing about, of course, this movie is they're trying to get Spock uh, back to the way he was, and they 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 get back up to the bird of prey. They end up take, taking that ship, uh, get control of it, figure out how to how to maneuver it, get themselves to Vulcan with with most of them still intact, and uh, Spock on board. Spock, uh, sort of the the mindless Spock, which uh, I don't really understand how that's supposed to work. I mean, he obviously can can walk, talk, think. And, and so forth. He just doesn't have Spock's, you know, Katra back in him yet, so. But they get back to Vulcan, and there's a ceremony, some kind of weird Vulcan thing that they can do called the Faltorpan that Sarek wants them to try, which basically pull will pull this uh, soul or Katra out of Dr. McCoy, put it back in Mr. Spock, and everything will be hunky-dory. That's the, the idea and the plan, at least, and that's, that's, their, that's what they've been trying to do all along in this movie, is save their friends, so that's uh, the, the clip, and then I've got a couple left after that, but nothing real long, I don't think. So here we go with the Faltor Pan part of the movie.
0: What is your wish?
2: I ask for Faltor Pan, the refusion.
0: What you seek has not been done since ages past, and then only legend. Your request is not logical.
2: Forgive me, T'Lar, my logic is uncertain where my son is concerned.
0: Who is the keeper of the katra?
5: I am McCoy, Leonard H., son of David.
0: McCoy, son of David, since thou art human we cannot expect thee to understand fully what Sarek has requested. Spock's body lives. With your approval, we shall use all our powers to return to his body that which you possess. But, McCoy, you must now be warned. The danger to thyself is as grave as the danger to Spock. You must make the choice.
2: I choose the
5: danger.
1: Hell of a time to ask. Yeah, I love that line Bones gives you there. Hell of a time to ask. You know, after everything they've gone through, now she's uh, this Vulcan uh, played by Dame Judith Anderson. Uh, Talar is asking him, do you want to face the danger? And and after everything they've gone through in the rest of the film, she's like, you're asking me now to face the danger? Uh, yeah, right, okay. Anyway, so of course they do the ceremony, and Spock kind of basically is back to pretty much himself, but he doesn't remember a lot of things of of his past life and his friends and that. Eventually that slowly comes back to him throughout the... The next film in Star Trek Four, and he's pretty much good to go by the end of that, which makes it kind of this whole trilogy of movies. There's two more clips here that I want to play from the film. The next one's a real short one. It's a it's a nice little conversation, short one, between uh, Ambassador Sarek, Spock's father, and Kirk about what uh, you know Kirk has done and why he did it to to do all this and go through everything they've gone through just to uh, to get Spock back to get his son back and, and Sark's grateful of course but he's he, you know he's a Vulcan and Vulcans being logical are always about the you know is is it is it worthwhile is is this what you made in, in the sacrifices if they're greater than what you got out of it, it it's it's not but but Kirk kind of explains it to him in an interesting way here and I really like this scene so I'm gonna play it for you now. I'm all right Jim. what about spark
2: only time will answer kirk i thank you what you've done is what i have done i had to do And at what
5: cost your ship your son if i hadn't tried the cost would have been my soul
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's very important there. You know, basically Kirk's saying to Sarek that he couldn't live with himself. If he hadn't tried if he hadn't tried to get Spock back. You know, obviously he didn't want the bad things to happen. You know, to his son, to the Grissom. You know, the sacrifices that were made here, to the Enterprise, the careers maybe, and all that. But he. Went into it, and he had to do it. He he just it was his friend, and he knows Spock would have done the same for him. The last clip from the film I'm going to play here is the very ending, and this is a good scene. This is really the main scene that, that Leonard Nimoy himself actually has in the film. You know, he's directing it, calling all the shots the whole movie, and he gets one really one basic scene here at the end. He's he's got this scene where he's after the Felter pen, and he's kind of you know he's walking in this white robe and. He just kind of pauses as he's walking past everyone, all the uh, the main crew of the Enterprise that that sacrificed all this to save him, and pauses in front of Kirk and starts to talk to Kirk about everything and how he's feeling and what he remembers. and And this is an interesting clip, and this will kind of round out the the look at Star Trek Three. So listen to the ending of the movie, and I'll be back uh, as it round, wraps up. Here you go.
2: My father says that you have been my friend. You came back for me. You would have done the same for me? Why would you do this?
5: Because the needs of the one outweighed the needs of the many.
2: i be your friend yes yes Spock
5: the ship out of danger you saved the ship you saved us all don't you remember
2: Jim, your name is Jim. Yes.
1: There we have uh, Treks and Sci-Fi's look at Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, and directed by Leonard Nimoy from 1984. Definitely uh, a good Star Trek film, I feel, and also worth a look if you haven't had a chance to see Star Trek Three in a while. Check it out. Go pick it up. Uh, like I said, there's a nice two DVD set out now, or rent it over at Netflix, Blockbuster, all those places it's uh, a good movie I really like it I think there's a lot of things to be said there for what people will do and sacrifice for their friends and for others uh, some cool stuff that happens in the movie just just a good movie and and with the original cast of course the classic Trek group of actors and, and characters overall uh, a lot of fun a lot of, a lot of good uh, this is this one for it's interesting the Star Trek 3 I'll, I'll say something. Whenever I've uh, felt kind of down, really down, or been sick, like had a really bad cold, I can remember one time, maybe I don't know, five years ago, a little longer ago, I had a really bad cold uh, during uh, uh, the winter. I think uh, one year, and I just, you know, I stayed home. I think from work the day, and I just sat around and with a big old, you know, blanket across my shoulders, and sat down and said, I got to watch something to kind of. uh, get through this and I couldn't sleep couldn't rest and the movie I pulled out was Star Trek 3 The Search for Spock. There's something kind of comforting about this movie for me at least I'm not sure exactly why that is maybe it's uh, just like I said the camaraderie that these characters and actors have for each other and what they'll do for each other I, I, it just it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty emotional movie I guess and, and one that I find uh, real enjoyable so it just sort of threw that out there I'm not going to talk about collectibles or anything this week. I don't have uh, uh, really, uh, I've got a few new things. I'm going to save those for a future show sometime in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but uh, nothing major that I really want to talk about on that end of things. Although uh, probably very shortly, in about a month or so, the, the large uh, three-foot or so scale Master Replicas Starship Enterprise for, uh, studio-scale model will be coming out. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to that, talking about that on the show. But uh, what I wanted to play here at the very end of the show, and I'll come back and wrap up uh, for a minute or two after I play this, this is about a four-minute little bit of the extra features on the Star Trek 3 DVD set. What this is is a uh, mainly an interview with Leonard Nimoy about how he got the job to direct Star Trek 3. Uh, there's a lot more to it than I'm going to play for you, but I just grabbed a little snippet of it. And I think it's pretty interesting, and you'll hear a little bit about the whole thing about him getting killed off in Star Trek Two, and, and why that was the case. and It was not really something he was uh, actively trying to, to have done and it wasn't like he was trying to be done with Star Trek or anything like that. So uh, with that, I'm going to play this four-minute clip from the extras on the DVD set and then I'll be back to wrap up this week's podcast.
2: Nobody expected Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan, to Explode the way it did. Two days, three days after the three-day opening, Michael Eisner, then head of Paramount, called me and said, Start writing Star Trek III. Uh, That is the fastest green light uh, on any project I've ever had. Leonard, now, that he had died so gracefully and so well, so movingly, Live long and
5: prosper. He now says to management. You want me back? I said, yes, Leonard. You're wonderful. You're so handsome, so graceful. You're so talented. you're William so imaginative. Shatner, of course. He says, you think so? And everybody at, at uh, Paramount bows down. I saw a whole line from the top of the management to some of the busboys in the restaurant all bowing like this, nodding their heads to Leonard. Leonard walked among them, blessing them, blessed the head of the studio. And then he said...
2: If you want me in your film, I want to direct the film. And their jaws went, "Uh uh-huh. Gary Nardino, the executive for Paramount, much to my surprise and pleasure, said, I've had that thought myself. So I thought, well, this is easy. Asked to direct a movie, and they say, yes. (laughs) Uh, It didn't turn out to be quite that easy, but that was the beginning of it. We left with a lot of hearty handshakes. Great, wonderful. And uh, I expected that their business affairs people would contact my agent and start to work on the deal. How much money, uh, etc. And there was silence. And when my agent called the studio to try to make the deal, they weren't responding. And some weeks went by, and I thought, this is very strange. And then finally, I had a, a talk with Mr. Nardino about it. And uh, he said, well, um, Michael Eisner wants to meet you, who was head of Paramount. I thought, okay, I'm ready for that. And I I had this meeting with Mr. Eisner, and I told him exactly the same thing I told Mr. Nardino. And he, too, said, great idea, great idea. Nimoy directs the search for Spock. Great idea. Uh, He was thinking promotion, he was thinking publicity, great story to tell to the press. And we left again with hearty handshakes and a lot of back-slapping. And then again, silence. For weeks, they wouldn't take our calls. So finally, one day, uh, I called Mr. Eisner. And he picked up the phone said, hello. I said, hi, it's Leonard Nimoy. Uh, Hi. How are you? Fine. I said, Michael, I'm confused. I thought we were excited about the idea of me directing this movie. And my agent can't get a response from your business affairs people. He said, you know, I've been thinking about it. I, I I can't do this. I can't have you direct this movie. I said, why? He said, well, you hate Spock. You hate Star Trek. You had it written into your contract that Spock had to die in Star Trek two. You, you wanted to get out of it. You wanted to be done with Star Trek. I can't let you direct this movie. And I said, this is not true. I did not ask for Spock to die. It was not in my contract that Spock must die for me to appear in Star Trek two. He said, it wasn't? I said, no. I said, Michael... The contract is in the in a file in the building that you're in. Would you go to the trouble of having somebody pull it out of the file and take a look at it and see if it's in that contract? Oh, no, he said, i take your word for it if it's not in there. I don't know how this word got out uh, that it was in the contract because it was it was not. Well, okay, That's, this is a different story. I said, Michael, we, we should have a face-to-face talk again. He said, come on in tomorrow. I said, what time? He said, 9 o'clock. I went in the next morning at 9 o'clock, and we talked for about an hour. And very shortly after that, within a matter of days, we had made the deal, and I was set to direct Star Trek Three.
1: So there you have it, Leonard Nimoy's own words about uh, how he got the job to direct Star Trek Three, the search for Spock, and a little bit about the history of the whole Star Trek II and him dying in that film. There was a lot of controversy there, but do you get it from the horse's mouth? Right there on Treks in Sci-Fi. And, and like I said, there's a lot more of those that interview and some other good stuff on the two DVD disc set of the movie. So go check that out. And that's just going to wrap it up now for uh, this week's edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. I hope you've enjoyed this look at another Star Trek movie, the third one in the film series. I will be covering the rest of them at some future dates Probably trying to finish out the five and six films next and then move into the next generation movies before uh, before much uh, more time goes on. Uh, like I said, uh, way back at the beginning of the show, heading out of the country for about a week, I guess. And I will be back uh, the weekend of the 9th and the 10th of December with another edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. Most likely we'll be looking at a TNG Next Generation episode since I haven't done one of those in a while. So look forward to that that weekend. And until then, I hope everyone's enjoying uh, the colder weather for the most part, at least for those in the United States. It's getting a little chipper or chilly out there, I should say. There was a pretty bad storm in the Midwest uh, today, and it's continuing, I guess, a little over the weekend. Hopefully my plane will make it off the ground tomorrow. I leave about 5 p.m., Saturday, and then I will be returning, like I said, December 8th. And until then, everyone, I will um, be thinking about all of you over in Germany, and who knows, maybe uh, I'll meet some Star Trek fans over there, and, and we'll talk about Kirk, Spock, and everyone. But until next time, everyone have a good, uh, safe uh, time out there. If the roads are slick, be careful. Uh, watch out for the Christmas shopping crazies, and uh, I will talk to you again soon. This is Rico signing off for this week. Bye-bye, everyone. This has been a Rick Dosti production This podcast, copyright 2006, all rights reserved